only costing us a little bit of samples. We're not paying for anything. We're not paying the influencers to do this. Um, we're not paying for the time of the platform. They're all part of our community, and we've already you know, put all this together ahead of time as part of our organic marketing campaign. It's brilliant. And again, like there were some, a lot of really interesting things you brought up. One is the fact that you aren't paying, you know, for these influencers. But if you think about the impressions, just going into marketing speak, like how many eyeballs are seeing all of these lives, seeing all of their posts, like seeing your product on these news feeds, like that's unbeatable. Um, you yeah, have to. The numbers big. were huge. I mean, they were up in the millions. But when you think about it. Welcome to the Omnichannel Roundtable, where we discuss strategic insights at the intersection of in-store and online retail. We're your hosts, Brian Alston and Yemini Mesa. Welcome to your seat at the table. Now let's talk shop. So we are back on this week's episode of the Omnichannel Roundtable, and we are super excited to talk about how to actually market your product on a bootstrap budget. Um, have a ton of ideas, experiences that we are happy to go through. But the first one um, that I think we should talk about is your experience at HECA. Um, for our listeners, um, we actually met five years ago because like Yemini, after he left Quest Nutrition, he started his own bar company called HECA Good Foods, which he will tell you all about. And I was a consultant for him, um, like helping with the marketing. So there's a lot of you know, really interesting, um, like reminiscing, you know, that we've been doing on what worked, like what were the opportunities, like what are some things that we would do differently, um, like now post-COVID. So yeah, super excited to dive right into that. But before we go into some of the questions, I'm like, Yemini, did you just want to, I was like, share a little bit of background on HECA and like some of the um, things that you did to really build that community piece that unfortunately is missing from a lot of e-commerce brands or brands, period nowadays yeah well the strategy for HECA is one that i honestly can't take any credit for um having spent four years working at quest nutrition literally sitting side by side tom billiou and nick robinson who actually ran the marketing department at quest i learned a lot and much of what quest did in the early days of quest was extremely effective and I was very impressed by it. I, I, I honestly, I remember when they first approached me before I actually worked there and uh, wanted me to come on board. I remember saying to them, like, you have a great product. Like, well, how, how are you ever going to market this thing? Like, it's, there's so many bars out there. There's so much noise. And um, they had a plan and boy, was it effective. So when I launched my own brand, I already had had a lot of marketing experience, but nothing like what we had experienced at Quest. So um, I guess if I were to describe it in one sentence, uh, uh, don't eat the marshmallow, uh, if you're familiar with that book. Um, it, and, and maybe that's too too weird of an analogy, but or too obscure of an analogy. But um, in, in marketing, sometimes the most obvious things are what work best. And, and just throwing money at, something doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have effective marketing. Yeah. In fact, a lot of the clients that we talk to, that's what their experience has been. They yeah. blew a giant wad of their money on marketing. They didn't get the return they were expecting. And now they don't think marketing works. 
or that some component of marketing doesn't work. I, I hear often people talk about uh, social media marketing doesn't work or influencer marketing doesn't really work. Uh, and they're kind of right if they don't do it right. It yeah. doesn't work if it's not well orchestrated in part of uh, a well thought out overall marketing strategy. But some of the least expensive marketing tactics are the most effective. And at HECA, we were not a big company with a giant budget and millions of dollars to throw at marketing. Um, we had a, a very well-positioned brand, I thought, a very well-defined consumer target and a very limited budget with which to reach those consumers. And so we did much of what Quest did in the early days. We stuck to only existing online, which you don't want to try to go everywhere at once and try to dilute what little marketing dollars you have across your online business and stores. That's, yeah. that's That makes it that much more challenging. So we limited our business to only going online for the first couple of years before even thinking about going into stores. And that allowed us to really narrow our marketing efforts and and focus them on that um, very well-defined consumer that, that we were going to be going after. And then uh, we didn't invent reinvent the wheel or anything. We, we did email marketing, we did SMS, we did social, we did influencers. And that was basically it. That's most of what we, that's 99% of what we did. And it was enough to ignite the brand on fire and get us from startup to $5 million in online sales only um, in just two years. Yeah. And as awesome as that was, I'll tell you, the part that I most enjoyed and the part that perhaps I'm the most like proud of, I guess, is the community that we built. Mm. So we had this incredibly engaged, robust community of super fans and influencers and thought leaders, all of whom were eagerly raving about our products on a regular basis based on our direction. So this wasn't just happening randomly which is great, by the way, if you've got all this organic traffic or engagement from, from the community out there, nothing wrong with that. But when it's all well uh, orchestrated um, and it's all happening uh, in alignment with what you're trying to accomplish with your marketing campaign, it's incredibly effective. And um, while it takes a lot of work to make all of that happen, it's not, it doesn't require a big budget. Um, and it's incredibly effective nonetheless. So... That, that was the the bread and butter of our marketing at HECA. It's awesome. And I think that you brought up some really, really interesting points here. The first one is about, you know, hey, I tried marketing and it didn't work. You know, I feel like there's a difference between spending money on advertising, let's say on TikTok and marketing. Those are almost like different things. Like that's one part of it. But like marketing, to your point, it is an orchestra. It is a symphony. It is a lot of different instruments that have to be played with precision in order to sound good or else you're just going to get a, like a big mess. And I think that you're spot on there. Um, and the other piece that you brought up just like on that is the community piece and the power that can come from people who have an authentic love for your product and your brand and those people sharing that with their fans and their followers. I mean, it's not a coincidence that influencer marketing or 
I guess like real influencer marketing, not like, you know, huge people, but like just like regular people who, you know, might have 10, 15, 50,000 followers are like actually getting like really, really good conversions because the people who are following them, like really trust their opinion, that word of mouth, like marketing, which is still the most powerful marketing there is um, and probably will continue to be um, as long as humans are humans. Um, that comes from community. Um, so yeah, it's great that you were able to really, you know, focus on that and most importantly, target it. Um, you know, if you think about it, like a lot of these disjointed marketing strategies, it's almost like, it's like cannonballs that are just like rolling around on the ship deck. But if you don't have a cannon to like actually aim them at something, um, and in this case, like you're aiming your marketing efforts, your budget, your team, your inventory that you're giving away for samples or whatever it is, if it's not aimed at the right thing, then you're just going to waste everything. Um, so yeah, I think that that's something that um, hopefully our listeners will um, like resonate with. Um, just double clicking into the sampling piece, because I know that you mentioned like you didn't have a huge budget, but you had inventory, you had product to give away. And you're like, what were some of the, the learnings that you got from that? Yeah, well, sampling, if you happen to have a product that lends itself to sampling, not all do, but if, if you do, and 99% of the products that you and I deal with are CPG food products, so most of them do. Um, but if your product lends itself well to sampling and you have a damn good product, then there's no better form of marketing than getting that product into people's hands yeah. um, and getting them to sample that product. There's just no better way to do it. So um, as a startup with a limited budget, we were at every event, every consumer event that we could be at that was either free or very, very cheap um, where we could find our target demographics. So any kind of keto low-carb event, in my case, this was a low-carb keto brand, we were there sampling product. And that always gave us the ROI that we were wanting, if not, if not more. But uh, any creative way you can get a sample into a customer's hands makes sense. I mean, every order that our customers received had a sample of a flavor they'd never tried before. Yeah. And that always worked extremely well. Um, we had all kinds of interesting promotions where you could buy a product for yourself and for a friend uh, to surprise them and that kind of thing, just so that there's an opportunity to, to share samples like that. So uh, again, this is extremely effective. In fact, the most effective marketing tool if your product's good. If your product sucks, then... It's not going to work for you. <laughs> yeah, totally. It has to taste good. Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like, I think one of the things that I mean, at HECA that, that was effective was having moments, like having these new flavor launches and not it just being like, hey, we're just going to send an email out. There was always a really, really intentional um, key. Yeah, like yeah, set yeah. of things happening on social with influencers on the website in email. Basically, it was huge moments around these new flavor launches that were massive like one what were your approaches to that and then two like going into 2024 is there anything that you would change hmm. about the things that worked with HECA those are good questions yeah so we try to have an exciting occasion or moment almost every month yeah. and not every month can you have a necessarily a new flavor to launch, uh, although it seemed like we were doing that at HECA for a while there. Yeah. Uh, but even if you don't have a new flavor to launch, there, there's usually 
one reason or another to create an occasion and, and reason to celebrate. Um, or, you know, worst came to worst, we created special pack celebrations of sorts with bundles and things like that that we could, we could create small campaigns around. But, um, yeah, there was something momentous to talk about, whether it's a new flavor launch, a new product launch, line extension of some sort, and anything that's new and exciting uh, always had a marketing campaign associated with it. And again, small company, not a big budget. So it's not like we've got hundreds of thousands of dollars to be throwing at, uh, at a new product launch. But nonetheless, we focused on some of the stuff that we were just talking about. Sampling was huge. Yes. Now, we were an online company. Uh, so it's not like we had a bunch of sampling opportunities in stores or anything like that, although those are important if you're, if you're in store. Um, but we had um, just this great community uh, of super fans, micro influencers, big influencers, thought leaders. And so leading up to a new flavor launch, the full community was properly seated. Yes. And things were orchestrated in a way that on the day of the launch, we had things teed up um, where sampling was leveraged in lots of ways, along with that many other things. And so we may launch on on a Tuesday announcing a new flavor and immediately we're doing a giveaway on our social platforms, giving people an opportunity to get the product for free and then getting the word out. Of course, you know, nothing earth shattering about that. Lots of people do it, but when it's part of a, it's, you know, 0.1 of a 50 point marketing campaign that's going to kick off over like a four week period, it then becomes synergistic and a much, much more effective. So that first week we may be having, IG lives uh, with all the key influencers who most love the product. They will have gotten it ahead of time. They'll have tried it. And then they'll be kicking things off on their platforms, doing their own giveaways with our product. And so again, we're getting product into people's hands so that they can try it and then, you know, hopefully be talking about it. Um, And then of course, you know, the community has uh, a tribe of influencers that are, you know, part of the group and, the, the best performing influencers, typically we would pick about a hundred of them. Yeah. All get the product ahead of time in a box that they can do a, an opening with on a particular date so that it all happens at once. So we kick things off on a Tuesday. We do an IG live. We do a, a giveaway. We do all the IG lives with a bunch of influencers on that day. And then all through that week, you've got all a hundred plus influencers doing giveaways on their platforms as well. Now, totally. This is only costing us a little bit of samples. We're not paying for any of this. Like we're not paying the influencers to do this. Um, we're, we're not paying for the time on their platform. They're all part of our community, and we've already you know, put all this together ahead of time as part of our organic marketing campaign. It's brilliant. And again, like there were some, a lot of really interesting things you brought up. One is the fact that you aren't paying you know, for these influencers, but if you think about the impressions just going into marketing speak like how many eyeballs are seeing all of these lives seeing all of their posts like seeing your product on these news feeds like that's unbeatable um you yeah, have to the numbers were huge i mean they were up in the millions but when you think about it if you have let's say an influencer with fifty thousand followers right that's not huge so i consider it a micro influencer i, I, I would suppose in the, yeah and and if they if they do a giveaway that requires um, their followers to tag their friend or tag two friends or whatever, it, it's 50,000 times two. And then if we've yeah. got a hundred of those 50,000 influencers, it's, it ends up being, you know, exponential. 
And then, you know, also during that week, you know, the launch week, um, there's another giveaway with a partner brand. And so the entire universe of brands that some may consider to be a competitor of ours, but to us, hey, they're, they're in the space, their customers are our customers and vice versa. If they're open and willing to collaborate with us and do partner brand giveaways yeah. or other forms of collaborations, then that, that was a standard part of uh, the, the marketing piece. And again, it, it, what does it cost? The product, yeah. it's nothing. Um, and then often the brands are, you know, actually synergistic products that, you know, work really well with, with our product or ours with theirs. So everyone's kind of eager to do it. So yes, if you've done these things and it didn't work, it's because you likely didn't coordinate all of this together in a way that just stop and think about the consumer, your target consumer and what that week might be like for them, right? You've got a, you're selling a product, call it a protein bar, and you've identified a, a, a protein bar consumer. And the week you launch, that consumer is going to see that product everywhere they go, all over the place. They're going to yeah. see it on your platform, on your e- from the emails that you send, from your SMS, from the favorite influencer, from the other brands that they may be uh, 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 consumers of. Um, it's happening all around them. And so what might be... Um, a five to ten thousand dollar marketing budget to pull all that off is going to feel like a million dollar marketing budget to a consumer who's out there like holy crap these guys are everywhere everywhere i turn this stuff um so you know you you know the old uh stat what is like nine impressions before somebody uh purchases something or eight i forgot what the number is but it used to be eight now it's 40 something (laughs) (laughs) okay well that's why we do it like that's why we do it this way because well orchestrated hundred percent. And like that last point you brought up is, I mean, it's really about attention. And the reason why, you know, the number of ad impressions has been quintupled and it keeps going up is because as you know, on social media, there's so much BS on these people's news feeds and there's so many distractions yeah. that you need as a brand to just constantly hit them because like one of those impressions might just be them scrolling past. And what you're really competing for is attention like nowadays and if you are a brand that's able to come across authentically, you know, with an excellent product, with a really authentic message being conveyed not only by you, but also by all of these other people that they trust, that is going to lead to not only the first purchase, but most likely leads to high lifetime value customers. Um, at Greater Than and at, uh, like a few other brands I've worked with, we've seen this exact same approach work very well especially on the brand partnership side, which is something that I think a lot of brands overlook because they think like, oh, well, that's competition. Or what if I'm sending my customers and they're going to buy them? I'm like, is it competition though? Like for example, with Greater Than, we were a breastfeeding drink. And if we're partnering with people who sell strollers and diapers and all of that, like, sure, you're competing for the same share of wallet. And yes, there might be some people who are going to choose to buy something else instead of your product, but you might get six or seven people from the other brands who are going to buy you as well, or people who might not buy you immediately, but maybe in a week or two weeks or three weeks after this giveaway, they're going to be like, oh, wait, I really want a bar right now. I'll try that HECA company. I'll try this brand. I'll try that. So I think you're spot on there about, you know, not only the short-term impact 
that this can have on these campaigns, but also in the, the long run, just sort of teeing your brand up and keeping it in mind so that way when people are in the market to purchase, the, but like they're going to think of you first. And that might not be immediately. Yeah. Yeah. The partner brand collaboration component, I, I don't even think most companies truly understand the full potential that actually has. I mean, some companies kind of do and they have partner brand collaborations and some yeah. have like nothing going on. Um, we could probably do a whole episode just on that alone. But yeah. uh, aside from the obvious, which is like uh, cross um, platform promotions where you can get followers to follow, that's an obvious one. And if brands yeah. aren't doing that, I mean, you guys are really missing the boat. That's a, that's easy, low hanging fruit. There's probably five other things you can do along those lines with another brand to help grow your consumer base. Yeah. Um, but one thing in particular that I love about doing partner brand collaborations is you need to think about the niche that you're in and your target consumer and what they consider to be cool or what yeah. they consider to be cachet or things that they brands that they admire. Mm. And if you can do partner brand collaborations with those brands, then some of that shine comes over to you and yeah. people start associating you with some of those you know, higher end brands or, you know, like you said earlier, it may not even be in your category. It may be something totally different, but yeah. um, you're associating yourself with that brand. I'll never forget one of the brands when we first started with Heka again, little no-name brand, year one, and I planned out the uh, partner brand collaborations uh, three months ahead of time, and we would do one per week. So there had, you know, we had to constantly be reaching out and asking folks to partner with us, and then we had our social calendar planned out a month ahead of time, obviously. So those spots were like kind of filled. Um, and I remember in making my wish list of brands that I wanted to collaborate with, one of them was Topo Chico, which is, you mm. know, this great, uh, beverage, uh, yeah. which I love and anyone who's on a keto diet knows about Topo Chico and anyone who was in a keto diet back then would know about Peter, Dr. Peter Atia and how much he goes on and on about Topo Chico and how much he loves it. So we're like, we got to get freaking part of our collaboration with these guys. We have nothing to offer them at the time. I think we may have had. I don't know, 20,000 followers on our Instagram account, if that, like we're yeah. tiny. Um, but they did a partner brand collaboration with us. Uh, the, the head of marketing from that company was like, you know what, your product looks great and I love uh, to help emerging companies and we'll we'll do a you know partner brand giveaway with you guys. And we did and it was yeah. very successful for us and people associated us with that brand. Um, so that's another reason for why um, partner brand collaborations are so effective. And again, those are free. It's just a product. Yeah. Today we're talking about how can we market on a bootstrap budget and and do it effectively. That's one of the ways right there. A hundred percent. Would you say like in 2024, is there anything about the playbook that you would change or add to? Hmm. I think I was too rigid in my stance on not paying influencers for... Um, having them post about our stuff. Yeah. And the reason for that, well, I learned that at Quest. Um, Nick and Tom were adamant about that. And I saw the results and I was like, you know, that's amazing. Like they're getting more influencer, influencer support for free than our competitors are getting by paying. Yeah. And that's admirable. And it's authentic. You used that word earlier. It's authentic support when they're doing it because they really, truly love the product and can't shut up about it. 
you can't pay for that. Um, yet people try. And so I, I'm, I'm always very turned off and I'm a little micro influencer myself in the keto world on Instagram. So I get these weekly uh, requests to do collaborations and they want to pay me this or pay me that. Uh, small amount of dollars for me, by the way, but it's always a transactional and it's always some product I've never tried. I'm, what is this? Stuff? Like, why yeah. are you reaching out to me? Like, I don't even know about your brand or your product. Um, they're just looking for people to post. Um, so for all those reasons, I had a pretty hard stance against, I don't, uh, if we can find a way to get a, an authentic influencer community behind our product, then that's what I'm going to do. Um, yeah. However, there is room for uh, flexibility there. And um, sometimes it makes sense to get creative about how to pay influencers so that you can double, triple, or quadruple the size of your um, influencer community. And, um, and by doing so, you know, have a better chance of, at getting more traction with uh, the content that's being put out there. And uh, I think you've had some experience in uh, doing something like this when you guys did um, a whole micro-influencer campaign. Was it, was it with Greater Than? Yeah, with greater than and a few other clients. Um, basically, yeah. So like for us, um, the issue was like going viral is a numbers game. And I think the, the mistake that a lot of people make when they think of influencers is like, okay, I need to go after the biggest person because they have the most followers. So it's going to be $25,000 for let's say two posts or something like that. And you have to hope that those posts go gangbusters and not only that, but that the quality of those customers that you're driving are going to actually stay around. Like at Greater Than, we had Hilary Duff. Um, she's a, like a big Disney star, you know, from oh, the early did. 2000s for people who like don't know on the podcast. But yeah, she was like the queen of Disney for a while. She organically posted just totally randomly one day um, about Greater Than and sales blew up. We got like $50,000 in a few hours. But then after a few months, when I looked at the lifetime value of the people that she drove who just tried it because she's famous and talked about the product, mm. it was basically nothing. Like the repeat purchase rate was like 2%. Mm. So, and I've seen that same thing happen numerous yeah. times. There was this one client that I, I started with and they had just spent $250,000 on influencers um, in the prior quarter. That was like a massive amount of their marketing budget. And then when they kicked off with us, they had me look at why it didn't work. And they were a swimwear brand. Okay. Uh, this is going to be a, a, like a nice little riddle for the um, the audience to solve. So they were a swimwear brand. They spent $250,000 on all of these really, you know, they were swimwear influencers. They were attractive, mm -hmm. like young women and all of that who had the aesthetic of the brand. And they looked great. You know, all the comments were like, oh my God, you look amazing. What happened was almost all of their followers were men. So of course. even though they had a massive amount of followers and reach and they would go viral with all these posts, the people who were actually engaging with their content were not- viral for all the wrong reasons. Exactly. <laughs> so at, at Greater Than, and as well as, you know, with these other clients I've worked with, I was like, okay, how do we, one- Stack the deck in our favor to go viral by having as much content as possible with as little money as possible, especially up front. And one of the things that we tested was one, you might have some micro influencers in your customer base already. We actually had some customers who, 
who purchased the product and they loved it and they had like five or 10,000 followers on Instagram. They weren't, you know, super polished influencers, but we basically were able to get them into their own little community, let's say of 10 people. And we basically like, like we taught them how to be influencers. We guided them on, Hey, here's exactly what kind of lighting to use. Here's how, what you should post and all of that. But the other thing that I think worked very well was, let's say we were paying them for five posts a week. I would say only three of those posts actually had the product. Like one of the things that we actually like really wanted to focus on was having them build an organic um, following of the cohort. In this case, it was breastfeeding moms. So we had some posts that had nothing to do with our product, but had everything to do with providing value to moms. It could be some... It's like some mom hacks. It could be jokes about your kids. It could be like a really sad story or whatever it is. So that way they're organically growing their following. And that way, when they do post the ad, essentially of holding up greater than or talking about it, it's going to be seen as more authentic versus the people that you mentioned, where if you go onto their Instagram and you see that every other post is them holding up some random product that they were clearly paid to do, their followers are going to be um, skeptical about whether this is a real influencer that they should trust. So I would say like, you know, with the micro-influencer strategy, you can get a lot of value from working with people who aren't going to charge you anything or might only charge you like $100 a month to do, you know, a lot of posts. And what I found is building that community of them where they're able to talk with each other. We make sure that there's no competition. They're able to sort of share tips and tricks. They ended up delivering more content than we asked because they're like yeah. oh i have these outtakes you know i'm just going to post it <laughs> you know i already have it on my phone i'm just going to post it on stories then the ones that do end up going viral we would figure out a um a bonus strategy or like a bonus structure so, so, so like again we're cutting our upfront costs but we're paying them on performance and of course what performance looks like will depend on the category you're in but if you are able to figure out like, hey, if you are able to get 100,000 views on this post, we're going to give you X dollars, like 50 bucks or 100, whatever it is that makes sense for your business. If you get a million views, you get this. You can do um, like affiliate code. So that way they are able to get a cut of each sale that they drive. Like there's all sorts of interesting ways to basically preserve your cash flow by paying on performance. And what we found from that was one, we were able to get hundreds of unique pieces of content per month. Again, statistically speaking, some of those pieces did go viral. You know, we were able to get, I've lost track of how many hundreds of millions of views on our hashtags, but of the pieces of content that went viral, those are ones that we would put on Facebook or TikTok as paid ads, which would obviously perform. So you can augment those. There would be content that we would use on the website or et cetera. So, yeah, I think that, you know, influencers, it works, but it requires a lot of um, strategy about exactly how to guide them to de deliver content that will convert. You also have to know who their audience is so that way they're influencing the right people and you have to figure out sort of the right incentive structure to make sure that you aren't just burning cash, paying them, hoping that they go viral when the odds are they won't. Right. Yeah, so much that you said there is so uh, spot on. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting how the majority of companies who have attempted an influencer strategy 
literally started wrong from the get-go. They just did, it started out as a transactional, yes. let's identify a bunch of key influencers. Maybe they were even smart enough to realize like the really big ones don't pay out as much as the medium to smaller ones. Even then when it's transactional, it's it's just limiting the authenticity of it right from the get-go. It can still work. It's just not going to be as effective. A lot of times people wonder what's the difference between these unicorn brands and the ones that aren't unicorns. And it's, it's these things. It's understanding the nuances of how to effectively do this kind of marketing. As a matter of fact, here, you want to, you want to know how to get millions of impressions for your brand for free without having to pay any influencers you build a community yes. and once that community is built, then if you've done it right, you can properly direct them. And let me tell you the, 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 the not the strategy, but the, I guess the tactics for the strategy. So like at HECA, we were able to build a tribe of influencers that was roughly 500 or so. Yeah. So in, and I'm talking about micro-influencers, meaning they ranged in followers on their platforms from 10,000 to 50,000. There were a few hundred thousand or so, a couple half a million in there, but mostly in that 50,000, 20,000 range. And again, there was roughly 500 of them. And we were able to get it to the point where we had an incentive program in place structured around points which gave them the kinds of rewards that they freaking went bananas over. Mm. And so imagine, again, we did a very good job of identifying our consumer. We're a keto snack and we're going after keto dieters. It doesn't get more straightforward than that. Um, and we know the types of things that keto diet, dieters get excited about. Ketone monitors, they can be expensive, but mm. if you want to do blood tests and measure your ketones, that's something they get excited about. Uh, an aura ring that helps track your sleep patterns and uh, the impact of your good or bad sleep on your health. Expensive little gadget. People love them. Yeah. And on and on and on. We made these things available. And by the way, those were partner brand collaborations. We can yeah. talk about that. But we made these things available as prizes that mm. our influencer community could earn by accumulating points. And so... Rather than paying a bunch of people to, hey, can you post this? Can you post that? We're going to do a campaign about this. Make the, Rather than do that, we basically said, this month, we're going to give 100 points away for anyone that submits a photo of our product next to a your favorite coffee drink. Mm. We want to associate a product with coffee this month so that every time somebody drinks coffee, they think about our product and they, yeah. they'll want to snack along with it. And so... Everyone that uh, submits a photo for that, it's going to be 100 points. The top three photos are going to be 500 points, just 5x of points. And so can you imagine? We have 500 influencers. We just get all this content coming in. Yes. Like you said earlier, at our disposal, like we, we can pick and choose any of the stuff that we, that we want to potentially use on, on ads going forward. And then, of course, we've got all this wonderful data to go along with it, like which of these posts actually perform versus – uh, those that didn't. Um, and then eventually, uh, you know, one of those grand prizes might be worth a thousand points. And yeah. so any influencer that accumulates a thousand points 
for doing all the things that we're asking them to do. And it isn't, you know, it's a different thing every week and you can do it or not do it. It's entirely up to you as an influencer. But those that get really excited about it are, they're constantly going to that rewards page, looking at all the different rewards, seeing how many points are worth, looking at their points tally, and then figuring out what else can I do to get more points? And so there's a list of things that you can do. You can post, you can make a recipe. There's a whole bunch of different things that we had created uh, that we uh, um, associated with the points. So anyhow, Wow, did it work amazingly. And, and we didn't even do that quest. This is like what we did at Quest and we took it up a notch and made it that much better uh, with, with the uh, Hecka brand. Um, so it might sound like a lot of work and it is, but if you know what you're doing, it's extremely effective and extremely inexpensive. Totally. Um, and so if you're a brand that wants to figure out, man, how do we do this? Um, you can probably do it on your own if you understand the basics and you want to put in the time for it. Or you can hire somebody like us who we know what we're doing when it comes to this. So we've done it a bunch of times and we've already got a lot of these influencer relationships built in. So it's not that difficult for us to get something going. We're not starting from scratch. Totally. Um, and then we've just, we, we know the game plan. So it's, uh, it's probably one of my favorite things in all of marketing. Uh, and that's the the community marketing piece. Well, I think that that is a really, really good note to end on. Um, like just to recap for our listeners, I would say like if we wanted to sort of sum up, you know, the th- like the three biggest things that we've talked about today, it's really the importance of community. And if anything, like you could say like it's like DTC no longer stands for direct-to-consumer, it's direct-to-community. If you are a brand that does not have a community that you are either building or cultivating, like whether it's through influencers or your own customers, it's going to be very, very difficult for you to win for all the reasons we mentioned before, for you to get the amount of content you need, the amount of awareness and constant impressions you need, et cetera. It's just extremely impossible, to be honest, without a community focus. Um, Two, it's understanding who your customer is. Because again, if you're trying to find influencers, you need to know who who you're influencing, who is your customer and like, what is it that they really want and desire and need? And what do they love about your product? What do they not like? Like what kinds of adjacent products do they use that are in their cupboard or competing for share of wallet? Because instead of seeing those as competition, they could be possible collaborations and people that you can partner with and then you all win. And that does work. In fact, it works very well. And the other piece is just having to know how to actually monetize all of this. You can get hundreds of pieces of content, but if you don't know how to actually like put those soldiers into action and like leverage it, it's just going to be sitting in a Dropbox folder somewhere. (laughs) So yeah, um, like we're always excited to talk to brands who have a great product, have the passion, you know, have the potential, but are really looking for people to help build their cannons and help load those cannonballs into something that's going to actually scale their business um, to the next level. Um, was there anything else that you wanted to um, add in there before we wrap up for our listeners? Just underscoring that marketing doesn't have to be expensive to be effective. In fact, yeah. the most effective marketing tools are usually the least expensive ones. So for any brand that's out there figuring out, trying to figure out how do we do this? Why isn't it working? Something isn't right. Uh, we're spending too much money and we're not getting the return that we expected. Uh, 
pretty good chance that we could probably take a look at the head and figure out some quick fixes that uh, will put things in the right direction. Awesome. Well, cool. Thank you so much for another great episode of the Omni Channel Roundtable. And we will be back next week with another exciting topic. Sounds good. Looking forward to it. Are you ready to take your business to new heights? Click on the link below to connect with me and my partner, Brian. We've got one heck of a track record helping companies go from startups to $100 million brands and beyond. And I bet we can do the same for you. So click on the link, give us a call, and we'll be chatting with you soon.